Hello. You have discovered the felon file. Formerly known as, The 542 and the Blue Podcast. Felonfile.com. Is a podcast exploration and discussion of law enforcement. History, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Felon File is hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. The Shade of Blue Stories for Felon File Today, Life in Prison at 15 Years Old. Background Music. Hard Boiled hosted by Purple Planet. Scott. You're online. Thank you, Victoria, for starting us out. Welcome, as Victoria said, to Felon File, a podcast exploration of law enforcement, history, court cases, things unusual, things I find of interest, things I hope you find of interest. The good guys, the bad guys, the sick and the strange. Today's Shade of Blue story for Felon File is crime and punishment for a 15-year-old defendant that ends up taking 68 years. 1953, Eisenhower is president. America is fighting with her allies in Korea. This is three years before America watches Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show. And the Beatles will come to America in 11 years. In one of the low-income sections of Philadelphia, eight teenagers ended up being arrested for a late-night, early-morning stabbing, robbery, and murder spree. Deputy Police Commissioner Richard J. Doyle of Philadelphia reported to the news media that the juveniles armed with deadly switchblade knives and Boosted by group camaraderie and alcohol, young men were involved with a rash of incidents in one local police district. They obtained several bottles of wine and alcohol sold to them or obtained from a state liquor store at Broadway and Bainbridge Street and thus begun a night of revelry that turned deadly. The young men all African-American, drank alcohol and conjoled together and dared each other and did what other young men do. At some point, the mutual decision was made to go headhunting. Apparently, that was a colloquial term back at that time for robbing people, I guess. Armed with a couple of switchblade knives, a wave of assaults and robberies soon occurred. By the end of the night, eight men were knifed, two of whom died from their injuries. Police responded to the various crime scenes and hospitals where victims were being treated. They gathered evidence and information and statements. Twelve juvenile suspects were located and presented to victims and witnesses for identification. The attacks and assaults occurred in a half-mile square square area between Christian and Reed Street in Philadelphia. Those of my listeners in Philadelphia may know where this is at. The assaults and robberies occurred into the early morning with police in a game of catch-up with the perpetrators. 
The game ended shortly after a Mr. Pitts was stabbed. A group of three juveniles ran from officers when they heard the shouting. A 15-year-old, Joseph Ligon, was apprehended and brought back to the crime scene. Mr. Pitts identified him as one of the young people who had attacked him. Ligon was taken to the police station to be interviewed by detectives. Now, transporting officers claimed they found a six-inch blade hunting knife in the patrol car that, that took young Ligon to the 24th Precinct to the police station at 24th and Wolf Street. Odd that it wasn't found when they were searching the, the suspect and placing him in the vehicle, only it, it turned up only after he had been removed from the car. And it's also odd that he didn't toss it when he was running and he had the opportunity to do so. Although the jacket worn by Ligon was examined by forensic techs and was found to be bloodstained. Uh, back then, all they could do was type the blood. They couldn't exactly say who the blood belonged to. Three individuals were identified by hospitalized uh, victims of two other stabbings. Two of the three had been identified by another victim and one still by another wounded man. Homicide and aggravated assault and battery by cutting, robbery and conspiracy to commit a felony charges were all filed against the three young men, identified as a Ronald Wilson, 17, Richard James, 16, and of course Joseph Ligon, 15. The day after the attacks, the police commissioner, Thomas J. Gibbons, ordered all police officers in the city to go about this and confiscate any switchblade knives. They referred to this as the switchblade drive, and it had been ordered by Gibbons as a response to the aftermath of the five-hour reign of terror, he said, in South Philadelphia. Uniformed officers rounded up as many owners of the quick opening weapons that they could find. The whole idea was to prevent more murders. Now it was noticed in the press that the stabbings all occurred in the 17th police district. Now this district has been designated two months prior before the attacks by the commissioner as a pilot district to test run police changes. Now, those of my fellow law enforcement officers, you know where this is going. The number of beat patrolmen was reduced greatly. Foot patrols that were left were ordered to be done in a new pattern of walking, a pattern of a straight line beat instead of moving through and across streets and checking alleyways. They were told, you walk the beat you stay on the straight line, you be visible, and that's about it. Now, the number of patrol cars, though, was increased. A reorganization of the entire department was to be patterned after this new plan. I don't think it was. The new policing methods were blamed for the slow reaction time of the officers. Only when additional officers were brought in from other districts were individuals able to be located and arrested. This quickly 
established extra patrols of the 17th district put an end to the almost random attacks by the young people and copycat individuals. Uh, a large number of young people were taken into custody and charged uh, above and beyond the three we spoke about, Wilson, James, and Liggins. They were the only three that were charged with murder. The three were tried and convicted and given life sentences. Ligon continued to deny he was involved with the killings of anyone. Now, Pennsylvania is one of six states where all life sentences are imposed without the possibility of parole. There and in Louisiana, first and second degree murder convictions carry mandatory life sentences, even for juveniles. Remember, Liggins was 15. The youngest of the three was sentenced by a three-judge panel, all white males, in a one-day trial. And Ligon, our 15-year-old, as well as the two other individuals, was sent to die in prison. Think about that for a second. Now let's look at our young man, Joseph Ligon. He was born in Alabama to a poor family. After moving to Philadelphia, which was not unusual for families seeking jobs and employment, he attended an elementary school, but he dropped out by the fourth grade and was illiterate. He was a fourth grade dropout. Think about that in comparison to any fourth graders you know today. At nine or ten, he drops out of school, and five years later, he is sentenced to life in prison and told our plan for you is for you to die in prison now Ligon once told a reporter that when he was 15 years old he was pretty much considered an outsider among his peers he believes he was scapegoated and made to take the fall for the crimes in prison Ligon kept to himself most of the time he worked as a janitor he was able to learn to read and write he also trained as a boxer and kept in good physical condition by very, very serious, strenuous workouts. In the 1970s, hundreds of lifers in Pennsylvania prison system were released as part of a clemency plan, but Ligon never applied to have his sentence commuted. He was quoted when he was asked as saying, I'm just a stubborn type of person. I was born that way. That was his answer to why he strayed in prison and decided not to apply. He had denied the killing of the two men and he refused to apply for parole while in his while serving his life sentence. In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled that life sentences for juveniles was unconstitutional. Four years later, the court ordered states retroactively reduced the sentences of those who were given life terms for crimes committed when they were juveniles. Because of this, the state of Pennsylvania re-sentenced Ligon and a lot of other individuals. They had about 500 juvenile lifers in the Pennsylvania prison system at that time. Their prison sentences were reduced to a lifetime or at least the rest of their lifetime on parole. In 2017, 
Ligon was re-sentenced to 35 years to life and given the opportunity to apply for parole. However, he did not. He refused. I would like to be free, he said. With parole, though, you got to go see the parole people every so often. You can't leave the city without permission. That's part of what freedom is for me, was his perspective on it. He didn't want to say he did it, and he felt that by taking the offer of parole, he was admitting that he did something wrong. A public defender, a Mr. Bradley Bridge, who had represented Ligon as his attorney since 2006, ended up going to federal court and asked for his client to be released. The Constitution requires that the entire sentence, both the minimum and maximum terms imposed on a juvenile be individualized. A one-size-fit-all concept cannot pass constitutional muster, he wrote. And I believe that's true. That's just like dealing with any juvenile and anybody. A one-size-fits-all very seldom is the best method of dealing with mental health, criminal justice, medical situations too, I would imagine. This past November, the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office accepted Ridge's motion and ordered that Ligon either be resentenced or released after 90 days. Now Ligon at this time is 83 years old and was staying at the, the State Correctional Institution, Phoenix, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Now, February of 2021, 68 years after being convicted, Ligon was freed from the prison. When interviewed later, he said, yeah, that was no sad day for me. Now, 68 years after being convicted, he spent 68 years in prison. Now, is this the longest sentence in the U.S. so far? It actually just missed the record for the longest United States person to be incarcerated. That is actually currently still being held. That person is Francis Clifford Smith. And he is the oldest prisoner in the state of Connecticut. He is a prisoner at the age of 97. He was sentenced to death for the murder of a night watchman during a robbery at a yacht club in 1949. And his sentence was commuted to life in prison in 1954, two hours before he was scheduled to go to the death chamber and be executed. Two hours. Smith was imprisoned in the Osborne Correctional Institute in Connecticut, but was moved to a nursing home in 2020. As of this recording, he's been locked up for 70 years, 274 days. 
course, he's maybe in the nursing home, but he's still technically in custody of uh, the state of the state of Connecticut. Now, that's the oldest in the United States. What about the world? Well, we have to go back once more to down under to Australia for Mr. Charles Fossard, F-O-S-S-A-R-D, 70 years old. He has been incarcerated for 70 years, 303 days after being convicted in Australia in 1903 at the age of 22. He murdered an elderly man and stole his boots. He died while still incarcerated at the age of 92, making this the longest served penance sentence in the world that we have documentation of so far. Now, actually being locked up for a period of time versus being sentenced. In the media, you see a lot of sentencing that seems exorbitant or outrageous. For example, the Aurora, Colorado shooter, James Holmes, he was sentenced to over 3,000 years in prison on top of 12 life terms, although he did avoid the death penalty. But if we're talking about records, his is only the fourth longest prison sentence in the United States history. Now, who has gotten a longer prison sentence and who holds the record in the United States for prison sentences? Well, I would have to say that would be Charles Scott Robinson. He received 30,000 year sentence. Think about that. Three zero comma zero zero zero. 30,000 years in prison. He was an Oklahoma child rapist, Charles Scott Robinson, and he owns the record for the longest jail term given to a single person on multiple counts. On December 23, 1994, Robinson was sentenced to this time of 30,000 years in prison. That's 30 centuries or 5,000 years for each of the six counts of child rape against him. Now to kind of put that in perspective, 5,000 years ago is estimated roughly to be maybe the time of the great flood in Noah's Ark. That's a long time to be locked up. Of course, that realistically he won't be. Unless he's immortal, he's going to die in prison if something else doesn't happen to him. As good Reverend Book says, a special place in hell for child molesters and people that talk in the theater. That's our Shade of Blue story for this week. I hope you found it interesting. The number of years that a 15-year-old was locked up for a homicide, 68 years. The Thanks for listening. 
I appreciate y'all. If you want to get in touch with me, I would love to hear from you. I've been getting some very interesting responses from different places of the world. And as well as having some very interesting discussions about law enforcement issues in other parts of our planet. But check out my website, felonfile.com, F-E-L-O-N-F-I-L-E.com. And a, a new addition that we've added to the website is uh, you can buy some stuff from us if you are so interested. Some coffee mugs and some t-shirts. And any profits from those I'm sending to an orphanage in Haiti that I've been working with over the years. And there's some very, very good people. I have a link to their website on my webpage. Check it out. Help them out if you can. You don't have to buy anything from me, but help these people out. They're doing a world of good in a scary place. In the meantime, if you get the opportunity, do something nice for somebody. It's the right thing to do, and it might make the world a little better place. Remember, be safe and be secure, and we'll talk to you guys next Saturday at 7 o'clock with another, with another Shade of Blue story on Felon File. Victoria, go ahead and close us out. You've got the control board back. Bye, y'all. You have been listening to The Felon File Podcast with your host, Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast or Scott's books and writings, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com and felonfile.com. Scott can also be contacted at these web pages. This is Victoria, your producer. Thank you for listening. Two, one, end. Thank you.